0: I want to take my reading this morning from the book of Numbers, chapter number thirteen, and um, I, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, Barry used the word disclaimer this morning, and, and what a what a great uh, and excellent exhortation that he shared with us during the communion time. Uh, but I just I just want you to know a, a quick disclaimer. I've been I've been struggling with this text and and this particular message, whatever it it, it would be. I've been struggling with this text for for over three weeks. Um, I'm still struggling. right now, while I'm standing, I'm still struggling with this text. Not not that I don't know what's in the text, uh, but I'm, I'm I'm struggling as to uh, exactly what what I should say. That isn't to say I don't have an outline, uh, but it's it's a struggle. i'm I'm, I'm fighting. Um, I'm fighting right now. and i'm I'm really praying that that God uh, blesses me with with clarity of thought and mind. To be able to peer into this text, to veer into this text, and to extrapolate from it, to take out from it uh, that which is beneficial for every single person that's here. Uh, All of us that are here this morning are are different and come from different backgrounds. We have, for the most part, different struggles, and we're just at different points in life, uh, and that's the truth. However, all of us have a common den- denominator. That is, we we all struggle with sin, and uh, we all need Jesus. And so, there are some things that that put us on put us put us on the same playing field and on the same plane. But I, I I make no illusions in thinking that everyone is going to hear any particular message the exact same way. But I'm prayerful that what is shared this morning would be a blessing to everyone, no matter where you are in your walk or in your journey or in your life uh, on this morning. So I want to take my reading from Numbers chapter 13, and as I begin to read, you you would notice, for those who are avid readers of Scripture, you would notice that this is really a familiar text. Uh, it's, it's not something that is uncommon to those who are Bible readers or Bible students or if you're familiar with, with, with the Bible or church or whatever, this is not an uncommon text to you. Uh, it's not an uncommon text to us, but there, I do believe are there, there, there are some things in this text that is, is so invaluable as we think about this journey that God has called us to. So I want to take up the reading from verse number one. And I just want you to just stay with me. Most of what I do is going to be reading, and then after I read, I'll share some thoughts, and we'll pull all of this together. So just stay with me as I read, maybe as you follow along as well. I'm reading from the New King James Version of Scripture, and it reads like this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the children of Israel from every tribe of their fathers you shall send a man every one a leader among them so moses sent them from the wilderness of paran according to the command of the lord all of them men who were heads of the children of israel now, their there there names from the tribe of Reuben, uh, Shamua, the son of Zachor, and from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun, make note of that, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Refu Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, uh, Gadiel, the son of Sodi. Uh, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. Uh, from the tribe of Dan, Am- Amiel, the son of uh, Gamili. And from the tribe of Asher, Seth- Sethur, the son of uh, Mikael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Dabi, the son of Voshsi. From the tribe of God, Giuel, the son of Machai. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, or Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Get up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. I'm in verse number 20, if that's all right. Whether the land is rich or poor, whether uh, there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land Now the time was a season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rohab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, Ahiman, and Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anakwadir. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they, came to the, then they came to the valley of Eshkol and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. Verse number 24 the place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel had cut there. Then they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the, Israel, the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the, the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. I want you to just kind of zero in on this. Let me repeat this. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. And Kadesh, they brought, at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It is true. It truly flows with milk and honey. And here are its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak. That is translated the sons or the descendants of the giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before the people of Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession of the land for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are great men of stature there we saw also the giants the descendants of anna came from the who came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in their own sight and so we will in their sight verse 1 of chapter 14 would read so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, I want you to underline or highlight Egypt, if only we had died in the wilderness, I want you to highlight or underline wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land, underline land, to fall by the sword? that our wives and children should become victims, would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Verse number five, and we'll terminate our reading. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Last week, I shared a message entitled, The Apple Doesn't Fall Far from the Tree. Uh, And to be honest, even as I, I, I had concluded that message, I just knew that it was a weighty message of sorts. Because who likes to think of themselves, even as a Christian, who likes to think of themselves as being possibly the son of Satan versus the son of the God that we claim to serve? But nonetheless, I believe that the message of understanding uh, our descendanthood and, and understanding whose children we are is invaluable because it's not really, as I said last week, in what we say in as much as how we live. So we could claim Christianity all we want. We could claim to be Christians or followers, believers, whatever uh, adjectives we want to use. We could claim that, but if it is our lives aren't in tune with the declaration of our lips, then our declaration is one that is false. And I believe God is still calling His people today not to just live a life that is based on lip service, but a life that is lived out every single minute of every single day. In other words, it's not simply what we say, but how we live. And I believe that that was a heavy and weighty message, but nonetheless, it was a revelant word. I believe that because I believe when God placed that word in my spirit, He placed that in my spirit first for me. And I need for you to appreciate something, church. When I when I share a message. God allows me to study this message and apply it and see it through my own eyes first, see it through the lens of the preacher, the son, see it through me first. It has to go through me first before I even uh, decide to deliver it to you. So it's as much for me as it is for you. And I felt the weight of that message on last week. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, God, I need to encourage your people a little bit more this morning. I need to have maybe something a little bit lighter to say. And and, and God led me to this text. And I've been struggling with this text for weeks. And as I look at this particular text, I want us to appreciate that that there is a big problem in this text. If you were following the reading with me, there is a huge problem in the text. And it doesn't matter how you break it down. It doesn't matter how you decipher it. It doesn't matter how how you give an outline for this text. That's Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. The big issue in the text, the big elephant in the room in the text is a people who are struggling with faith. Ultimately, as the people of God, we would recognize that it doesn't matter what the world throws at us. Ultimately, what, what really becomes the issue for us is, are we struggling or are we strong in faith? So it's ultimately always a faith issue. And as we look at this particular text, I want us to appreciate that there is a huge problem that these people, this, these children are, are, are experiencing, and it's an experience, it's a problem, a problem of faith. But really, as I said, as you look at this text, it doesn't matter how you decipher it. It doesn't matter how you break it down. Uh, There is a posture that they would have taken up. And there is an attitude and mindset that they would have had. And it's displayed right here in the text. But ultimately, the underlying issue is how is their faith? For us, the issue still remains the same. How is our faith? We might be going through some things and struggling through some things and dealing with with some things and frustrated about some things. But ultimately, the issue always is, how is your faith? So what I want to talk about for the next few minutes, if you would allow me just to to kind of race through some of these thoughts. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the concept of defeating a defeatist attitude. Defeating a defeatist attitude. Attitude. Repeat that one more time in in case my accent lost somebody. Defeating a defeatist attitude. It is not the attitude of the Christian that everything in life ought to be bubbly. It's not every time you see a Christian, they ought to have a smile on their face and uh, a clenched face and they're always bubbly. And oh, how are you? I'm blessed and, and blessed and highly favored in the Lord. That's, that's not the issue here. But the issue is I want us to appreciate that for the, for the Christian, for the child of God, the way that we perceive things always ought to be along the lines of how we perceive God. So our perception of things has the capacity to either fall within two frameworks, either negative or positive, based on the perception that we have of the God that we serve. So really when it boils down to it, is how do you perceive God uh, really determines how you perceive things. That's why when the child of God goes through difficulty, distress, and alike, we can have a good outlook, a positive outlook. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will smile. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will laugh, but at the end of the day, you can have joy in the midst of your frustration and your pain because you have a good and healthy outlook of the God that you serve. Are you with me? So for the child of God, attitude, really for anybody, they, tell, they told me in school, before I became a Christian, they told me when I was trying to pursue sports, they told me you had to have a good attitude. They tell us in school, you have to have a good attitude. We tell our kids when they're fighting each other, you guys need to have a good attitude. They tell us when we were doing our counseling, marriage counseling, you need to have a good attitude. It's the same in Christianity. We need to have... Good attitudes. So watch this. Attitude is everything to everyone. It's the difference between failure and success. It's the difference between mediocrity and excellence. Attitude is the, is the difference between an impasse and having surpass. It's the difference between fear and faith. Having a good attitude. We can't, we can't control a lot of what happens in this life. Uh, 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 as a matter of fact, even though we might try to control a whole lot of things, we have little to no control over what goes on in life and what happens to us. But what we do have total control of is how we perceive things. So we have control as to whether or not we would choose to have a good or a bad attitude to something. So when somebody does you something and you, you, you decide to hold on in anger to that feeling of frustration because let me tell you something about anger and pain and distress. Anybody here ever got angry because of something somebody did to you? I'm, I'm, let, me, let me talk to some honest folks. <laughs> Anybody ever got angry at something somebody said about you? And even though you know as a Christian you need to try and deal with it, you hold on to that feeling of anger for as long as you can because as long as you hold on to the feeling of anger, you could have some sense of justification for your thoughts and your actions. So here's the problem with, 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 with feelings like anger, malice and alike it can become quite intoxicating because it gives a false sense of strength. Because all of a sudden, you go from being angry, and I know we've done it sometimes where you've tried to prove people wrong because people said you won't amount to anything, so your motivation for doing and becoming successful was to prove people wrong. You were moving in anger as as opposed to proving to yourself that, that you could do it. You were trying to prove to others that you could do it. It's a strength that comes from a place of 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 stubbornness as, as opposed to a place of submission and humility. So anger, if not checked properly, anger could intoxicate us because anger, it's in our anger do we have or feel a sense of strength at a point where we're actually weak. So a lot of times we don't want to let go. You ever you ever see some you ever see some people they're, they're angry and they're saying, cool, don't cool, and they tell you, no, don't touch me. I don't want to cool down. I want to feel how I feel. And it's true, you want to feel how you feel, but that anger makes you feel strong. And oftentimes we hold on to it because now we are justified in what we think, what we say, and what we do. Why is that? Because I did it when I was angry. But for the child of God, God is saying, listen, if it's one thing you have control over, is how you choose to approach a situation. Do you you choose to approach it with a good attitude or with a a bad one? Do you choose to approach this with a positive outlook or with a negative one? You have the choice as to how you choose because attitude, church, is everything. Anybody here have family that has slandered your name? Anybody here has friends that have turned their backs on you or even worse, stabbed you in your back? Anybody here have brethren, people now who are in the church who, who you, you, you thought were, were blood-bought and uh, you, you thought you, you were tied by the hip spiritually only to, to do you harm and to do you wrong. I'm telling you, hurt does something to us, but ultimately our attitude and our disposition helps us to overcome those types of things. We ought not to be burning bridges, but rather we ought to be bridge builders because Jesus was the ultimate bridge builder. So attitude, church, becomes everything to us. And I want us to appreciate something as you think about attitude. Attitude is something that is contagious. Fear is something that is contagious. Frustration is something that is contagious. Let me show you what I mean. If I get up, and I'm using my family, I don't want to use anybody. If I get up in the morning and I feel frustrated and I started to act some kind of way, even though the rest of my family got up with, with, with good spirits and good vibes, as we would say, my, my spirit and my vibe and my attitude, it, 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 it pervades the atmosphere of my wife. And that Matriculates down to the kids, and I'm, I'm i'm pulling into Rick here too because he's staying with us for the time. It's even going to make its way into Puerto Rico because all of a sudden you had one person who had a certain type of attitude, and that just makes its way through the masses. Let me show you in the text because I had to do, deal with the text. In the text, God says, Take 12 men and send them to spy out the land. And in as much as God was sending them to the land, it wasn't a matter of, well, I want you to go and see if you could take the land or not, but I want you to go and see for yourself everything that I've already told you about the land. I've already told Moses, Exodus chapter number three, I already told Moses that the Amalekites are there. I already told Moses that the Jebusites are there. I already told Moses that you guys are going to have to fight for this land, but it's a land that I'm giving you nonetheless. I've already told you it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. I've already told you there are great cities. There. I've already told you that there are men of renown. There. I've already told you. So I'm sending you into the land so that you could see with your own eyes what I've told you through my servant. In other words, I'm, help, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you there so that your faith could be strong. I'm sending you there so that you could learn to put your trust in me because here's how we build trust we build trust through time through effort, and through trial and experience. I need for you to appreciate this, church. I'm going to get to these points really quick. I want you to understand and appreciate that taking the children out of Egypt was was the easy part for God. Taking the children out of bondage in Egypt was the easy part for God. The difficult part was taking Egypt out of the people. The easy part for God is taking us up out of the world. That's the easy part. I and mean, I know what you're saying, a little bit of morgan. It took so much. And you know, it, yeah, all of the plagues that God was doing, God didn't have to go through 10 plagues. God could have wiped out the, the, the Israelites by sending stuff from, from fire from heaven, He could have done whatever He wanted, He could have put everybody to sleep and then tell the children of Israel, walk out. But what was the point of the 10 plagues? The point of the 10 plagues, every single one, was so that the children of Israel could put their trust more and more and more and more and more in Jehovah God. What was the point of the Red Sea, God? Again, if you didn't believe the 10 plagues, I'm bringing you to a place where there's seemingly nowhere forward with your physical eyes so you could put your trust and your confidence in me. And as you put your trust and confidence in me, I'll open up some seas for you. I'll make a way where there seems to be nowhere. I don't want you to go back, going backward is never the option. I need for you to always be pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to see: the easy part for God wasn't what, 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 what was taking them out of Egypt. The difficult part is taking Egypt out of them. So what God was doing when he was fighting on behalf of the Israelites was he was saying this, he was saying, Listen, I will fight your master. That's Pharaoh. I will fight your monster, and you fight your mind. I will fight Pharaoh, you fight your Pharaoh. I will fight your monster, you fight yours. So let me put this in in spiritual terms for us, since we're talking about New Testament Christianity And as much as we think we're fighting the devil, church, you and I can't fight the devil. That's a fight that God already won through Jesus Christ. So God is saying, I'll fight the devil. You don't have to fight the devil. The only thing I want you to fight is fight your mind. Bring your mind into submission and allow your mind to be transformed and to adopt the mind and mindset and mentality and attitude of Christ. So you and I, you and I, I know we like to feel that we're good and we're fighting the devil. I'm fighting the devil. No, 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 you're not fighting the devil. What you're actually fighting is to take the world out of you. What we're actually fighting is to take the flesh out out of control. What we're actually fighting is the worldliness and the thinking of Egypt that pervades our minds for all these years. No wonder it was so hard for the children of Israel after being born and raised, all of them in Egyptian slavery and bondage. No wonder it was so hard for them to trust God with every fiber of their being. But we look at the children of Israel and we say, how stubborn could they be Look at all the signs that they had. And look at the display of faith, if not faithlessness, that they displayed. But if only we would lift up the mirror to look at ourselves. How many times has God showed up for you and for me? And how many times, like the children of Israel, have we said, even without saying it, it were better for me to die in Egypt. It were better for me to die in the wilderness than for God to bring me to a place where seemingly there is death on the horizon. Do you not realize that in Numbers chapter number 14, when they were talking about it was better and it was better and it was better, if they had the presence of mind to just look back and see what God had brought them through. They complained. Was it not better for us to die in Egypt? Well, okay, we are no longer in Egypt. Was it not better for us to die in the wilderness? Okay, yes, while you're in the wilderness God is preserving you and now God has brought you to a place where it's about time for you to go and conquer the land. If you would just look back Egypt didn't kill you the wilderness didn't kill you and if you trust in the God that took you out of Egypt and you trust in the God that kept you in the wilderness, the same God that took you out of Egypt and the same God that kept you in the wilderness is the same God that will give you Canaan's land. So the issue is not what's ahead of you the issue is what's going on inside of you because God has already taken care of what's ahead of you but what he wants us to focus on is what's going on inside of you in as much as we serve an awesome God God will God could navigate and orchestrate everything externally but there are some things that he relinquishes to us because of free will he says you have to submit If you don't submit, there's only so much that I could do. But it's not until God's people relegate themselves to giving wholeheartedly submission, mind, body, spirit, energy, life, breath. It's not until we have determined ourselves to give God our everything. I love the theme for camp. More than just a fan, right? It's, it's, not, it's not good enough just to put on the Christianity t-shirt when it suits us. But if you cut us, we're supposed to bleed Christ's blood. If you spit on us, we're supposed to think Christ's thoughts. If you bite us, we're supposed to love you with the love of Christ. If you belittle us, we're supposed to embrace you the way that Christ would embrace you because attitude is everything. Watch this, if you don't mind, and we'll be done. When you think about what a defeatist is, a defeatist is one who easily and so readily surrenders. The term is especially used within the confines of, or, and context of war. A soldier can be a defeatist if he or she refuses to fight because he or she thinks that the fight will be lost for sure or is not worth fighting to begin with. So you're talking about somebody who even before they've engaged in a fight, even before a sword is, 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 is thrown or, or, or they take a step, they decide, I'm not going to fight because, listen, we are too small. We are not able is what the children of Israel, these ten spies, would have said. And ultimately, Caleb has to shut them up. Ultimately, Joshua, when you continue the reading in chapter number 14 of the book of Numbers, Joshua would have to say to them, Listen, I I, I need for you guys to shut up for a minute and just listen to what I have to say because I saw the exact same things that you did. But I saw it with different eyes. It's amazing how we'll all see the same thing and view it differently. It's amazing how we'll all peer into recession, but still look at it differently. It's amazing how we could all recognize COVID and its effects, but only certain people could look at COVID for what it was and what it could be. It's amazing how we could see limitations and how we could see obstacles, but some people look at limitations and they look at obstacles as an opportunity for God to show up and for him to get his glory. It's amazing how we could look at things, but it all depends on the type of eyes that we look at them through so Paul would conclude we need to walk by faith and not by sight because if we are to walk by sight all the time the church is ultimately always going to be limited send it Lord if, if we always were to do things based on the limitations that are there then we would do nothing at all for all of us truly are limited in some if not every capacity that there is to win a soul who here before you shared the gospel with somebody had the capacity to share the gospel with somebody Who here? But God gives us a testimony. Could I share this with you, church, really quick? And the message will be yours. As we think about not just the concept of a defeatist, but what does it take to defeat a defeatist attitude, here's what I want us to see from the text really quick. Uh, And I'm going to just highlight these. Number one, and this is the main thing as you think about defeating a defeatist attitude, number one. One and only thing, and I have some subscripts. Number one, learn to trust Yahweh with everything. If you want to defeat a defeatist attitude, it doesn't matter everything else I'm going to give, which I'm going to give you some other stuff here, but the number one thing you and I have to learn to do is to learn to trust Yahweh. Learn to trust Jehovah God. Learn to trust God with everything. Say everything. Not some things, not most things, but everything. That means submitting to Yahweh my own will. It means submitting to Yahweh my own heart. It means submitting to Yahweh my own determinations. It means submitting to Yahweh my own plans. Submitting to Yahweh your life. Submitting to Yahweh your dreams. Submitting to Yahweh your vision. Submitting to Yahweh your work. Submitting to Yahweh your time. Submitting to Yahweh everything. But many times we play compartmentalization type Christianity when God says, I need to be first in your life. So here's what I want us to see in the text, and the message will be yours. Number one, if we have to learn to trust Yahweh with everything, we need to take inventory of where we are. Number two, don't allow yourself to be swayed by your fear Or the fear of others. Because sometimes your fear grows because of some other fear that is shared by somebody else. And had that person just shut up. Had that person just shut their faithless mouth up. Even in the little fear that you had. You might have had the strength to step up and say I'll go. But because a faithless individual said, No, we can't, you and I determine sometimes, No, we can't. So we got to learn sometimes to don't allow ourselves to be swayed by the faithlessness and fear of self or of others. Take stock of where you've been, not only where you are, but where you've been. Learn to walk. Based on who God is and, what you, and not, not only what you see. And finally, have a spirit that follows God fully. I want you to see this description as I close. This will be my last text. Come with me to Numbers chapter 14. And I want you to see this description that is given here concerning Caleb. God is getting ready to dish out some punishment on this faithful generation. And Moses bows himself. He said, Lord, what would the, what would the people of the world say? What would the Egyptians say if, if you were to just strike everybody down? Uh, and, and God says to Moses, okay, Moses, I've, I've, I've heard your cry. I've heard your plea. And because of your cry and because of your plea, I'll extend some grace and I'll extend some mercy. And so God shares a word of, of commendation for this, this man, this individual by the name of Caleb. And I want you to see... What God says. And we'll close. In verse number 24 of Numbers chapter number 14. But my servant Caleb. Because he has a different spirit. And has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land where he went. And his descendants shall inherit it. Because Caleb had a different spirit. Sometimes that's what you need to break your family's generational curse. You need a different spirit. Uh, sometimes that's what you need to engage a community that is different from the masses of which the congregation is a part of. You need a different spirit multiculturalism as far as i know hasn't really been a thing among our fellowship but what's needed in order for us to really accomplish the vision and the goal of a multicultural church and ministry is for us to have a different spirit we can't be like the world and then expect to win the world to christ it just doesn't work that way a different spirit attracts individuals who have different spirits themselves So Caleb was able to lean with Joshua because Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit. Could I say this to you and we'll be done? The masses or the consensus of masses doesn't always identify the will of God. But if the masses are following the heart and mind and will truly of God, that's when you could lean on the masses. But don't think because the masses are leaning one way that we need to follow the masses. No, 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 no. We need to have a different and a unique spirit. A spirit. Check this because don't, don't take this out of context. That unique and different spirit is a spirit that submits fully to God and God alone. So leaders be different. Submit to God and God alone. Elders, be bold. Uh, And don't think that if, if you have to make a move, and some people may not like it, that we shouldn't make the move. Elders, be bold because you need to have a different spirit. Because it's better to listen to God than to try and appease everybody else. My ministry members and my ministry leaders, my class coordinators and my class facilitators, be bold in knowing that you need to have a different spirit. I understand that in having a different spirit, that simply means that we need to be fully submitting ourselves to God and not everyone and everything else. But Morgan, you're the preacher. You need to have a different spirit is what God placed in my spirit. Because the truth is, your ministry can't be a ministry that's relegated to try and please everybody. I need you, Brother Morgan. I need you, preacher, to point people towards Christ and not towards yourself. So, church, I'm asking you to pray for elders. Pray for ministry team. Pray For your preacher pray for husbands pray for wives pray for the families pray for the visitors pray for the brethren pray for this church pray for sister churches pray for these communities pray for these kids pray for these schools pray for these governments because any government and every whether you voted for them or not we still gotta pray for them because we need to have a different I wish you would help me say it, spirit. So how do you defeat a defeatist attitude? By trusting God. By trusting God. By trusting God.